0: Get it out of your head and onto
1: the page Get it out of your head and on to the page Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me after a very long hiatus is Alex Kramer. Hello, Alex. Hello. So get close to the mic. I wanna to th-
0: I'm touching the mic. Okay. Yeah. Good. I just want to make sure <laughs> okay.
1: that we're here and you're okay. Yeah. Um, so Alex, the the last time you were here, we determined might have been about four or five years ago?
0: Yeah, I think about four years ago.
1: And you used to be you were the self proclaimed uh, was it the Alec Baldwin of the show?
0: I was. I was <laughs> the uh, the perpetual <laughs> perpetual guest. And I think but, I wore my welcome.
1: <laughs> but we loved having you on. We yeah. loved having you on. I think you had won tracking B, right?
0: Uh, I, I was a finalist in tracking Bay. I, I never actually won a contest. But it was the, very the tracking B thing
1: had gotten you like representation and that had like you you were taking meetings. And I remember you came on and it was the bottled water tour was what yeah, you well, what you the, first came on about. Way 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 back.
0: Yeah, that that was, you know, I can't even think about how many years ago that was because uh you know, I got representation like 10 years ago or something. Yeah. But uh yeah, that original thing was a w- bottled water tour just going to all these meetings. I think I had about 40 meetings over off of one script, which was kind of great, except that script didn't actually sell. That's all right. (laughs) Yeah, but I got to meet a lot of people and drink a lot of water.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And now, you know, now you have a career in screenwriting. So to that point, Alex is the writer of the Disney Channel movie Pants on Fire, the faith-based biopic I Can Only Imagine, and most recently sold his spec screenplay Rawhide Down, To global road and that's when i was like alex come back on the podcast because what you were in deadline was that yeah it was was a deadline
0: article yes
1: well let's work backwards talk about that
0: uh as far as rawhide goes yeah yeah, tell me about this so rawhide is about the uh assassination attempt against ronald reagan Mm -hmm. that happened in 1981 excuse me and uh it's, it's the kind of thing people have a vague awareness that he was shot or there was some kind of attack against him but almost no one knows the real details of it. And so it was a story that, again, I didn't know the details of it until I dug into it. And as I did, I realized how fascinating it was and how many different aspects there were and what a rich story it was. And it was also very cinematic because it could take place, it did take place in a very compressed timeframe from the time he was shot to the time everything kind of sorted itself out. It was about 12 to 14 hours. But within those 12 to 14 hours, there were just dozens of amazing twists and turns some of that had to do with his medical treatment, some that had to do with the political situation as far as being the height of the cold war and people not being sure if it was the Russians who had attacked him. So there was just so much story there to tell. And, uh, it was actually one of the fastest scripts I've ever written because there was so much to draw from, you know, there was so many, there's so little for most, you know, biopics or kind of historical dramas. There was so little that needed to be made up because the truth itself was so fascinating and interesting. So I just knocked out the script, gave it to my manager And uh, he actually hooked me up with uh, Verve, the talent agency that generally represents writers and directors, and gave it to uh, David Boxerbaum, who was a partner over there. And his reputation is he's the spec king, kind of. He's one of the few guys left in the industry that still sells specs. And so within about a month of him having it, and then within just a couple weeks of it actually going out to the market, it sold, which is an incredibly rare thing these days. You know, the spec market has been cold for, you know, it feels like a decade at this point. There's just not a lot of specs that sell. And fortunately, mine was one of them. So it was a great, you know, and I, I gotten actually gotten married like three weeks before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so well, it was a very eventful month for me. Way to prove. Yeah,
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> do I get another year out of this? Oh, yes, I do. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So you get to stay married for another year. Yeah. Okay. And then what was it that made you get interested in this subject and then you know you submitted it on spec? Yeah. Okay, so how does how does that all work? Based on the other stuff that you've written, I mean Disney and faith-based and suddenly it's like, you know what? You know what I'm interested in. <laughs> <laughs> it's something that happened when I mean, you you were like a little kid, even.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was. I guess I was born at that point. You were born <laughs> at that point. That, that was all I would accomplished up to that day. You,
1: you so suck, but yeah. okay, all right. But I was I was around. Yeah. So so, what made you get interested in it? What made you write this? And then you know, tell me tell me more. You
0: know, I'd always had an interest in history, and so I was just trying to think of what should my next thing be. And uh, I think I'd actually had an idea I was working on before then that I was super into. But then I found out some other big writer, I think HBO was already going to shoot something based on the same idea. So you have that sense of you know, crushing disappointment, which happens to every writer, I'm sure, where like, you had, thought you had a great idea and somebody else just beat you to it. But then it turned out to be this great blessing because it made me think of another idea. It made me have to you know be creative and think of something else. And I remember just, I don't know why it popped into my head, I was thinking, well, Reagan was shot, but what else, what, what was that about? What happened there? You know, because all I knew was that Reagan had been shot. I didn't really know anything else. And so I started doing the research and doing my homework and just uncovering all these amazing facts and just realizing how easily this could translate to a film, both for, you know, how kind of quickly it happens. I think, like, you know, sometimes the problem with historical drama is if they try to be too big or too, big, uh, too long a time period, they kind of lose their momentum as stories. If you're trying to do kind of a cradle-to-grave biopic or something like that. But if you can hyper-focus on one really fascinating incident then you can tell a really propulsive story. And that's what this was. And it was also great because you take someone iconic, everybody knows who Ronald Reagan is, but then you dig into this thing that almost no one knows anything about. So you have a good hook as far as Reagan, but then you have this great story as far as something that no one has really heard about or no one really knows about, but is actually deeply fascinating. And it's all these things that relate to, you know, what it took to actually save his life, how close he came to dying. And then also, you know, the Cold War tensions at the time and his cabinet, not knowing was it the KGB that shot him, like who who shot him? They don't know. And there was this all this tension relating to uh, things happening in Poland. It gets, it's a little esoteric, but I mean, there was a lot of tension with the Soviet Union. And another aspect of it was that George W. Bush, who should was the vice president, obviously, who should have been in charge when Reagan was shot. He was out of the White House across the country and he was in Air Force Two but Air Force Two had no secure communication. So he could not talk to the White House and the people there about the various things to do because he just had a a radio that anybody could intercept the signal from. So now it's like no one even knows who's in charge and his various cabinet secretaries are kind of fighting with each other to be the one to chart the course. And some of them want to be very aggressive to the Soviet Union. Some of them want to kind of hold back and try to figure out what's happening. And so it's all this tension of, well, are we going to shoot missiles at the Soviets now, or what are we going to do? And there's just, you know, there's so many aspects to it that are so fascinating. It was just a great story to dig into.
1: So now that um, it's, it, it, is there a production date? Is there a release date? Uh, what, what, yeah. ha- where <laughs> I, I are you at so with, the, with the process? At, at
0: this point, they're looking for a director. Okay. Yeah, so we have to find somebody who uh, wants to be our director, and then we'll cast it, and then ideally we'll shoot it. And I'll get to go to a premiere.
1: <laughs> is um, you know, when things go out on deadline, you know, you've been also on the PR end of things, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um. So, so is it sort of part of the development process in a little bit? Like we've bought it now, let's let everybody know about that, Th- yeah. so that people sort of are driven to the project itself.
0: Yeah, I mean that has sort of two purposes. One is to kind of put it on everybody's radar to let everyone know. You know, it's like a signal fire, like hey, we just bought a thing, and we're going to be looking for you know directors and actors. So you know, heads up everybody. And then it also serves a purpose for me as a writer because, generally speaking, as a writer, you get very little publicity until you sell something. So now I was not somebody who was very well-known at all, and this puts me on people's radar. Like, because, you know, it's so rare that a spec even sells that when it does sell, people kind of want the details, you know? And so now people know, oh, Alex Kramer's a spec. Maybe I should get to know him.
1: Now, now it does, do you feel like this is going to... Start branding you as a different kind of writer, and are you? How do you feel about that?
0: I don't think my brand was particularly strong Mm -hmm. to this point, you know. So I don't think, you know, if it brands me as a working writer, then that's you know the best brand there is. That's true. So and you know, frankly, uh, it's not really. If I become the biopic true story guy, that's great because they tell a lot of biopics and true stories. So it's a good it's a good place for me to be, I think, and it it fits my skill set well. So.
1: Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Now, are you, again, back on a bottled water tour now that the Deadline right. article came out?
0: I, I am, but it's sort of a better bottled water tour.
1: So, so what makes it better in terms well, of... Well,
0: the fact that you get, definitely get another level of credibility once you've sold something. And then, you know, it's kind of a thing in Hollywood. No one wants to be the first person to pay you, mm-hmm. right? But then once that seal's been broken, once somebody has said, okay, I will write you a check, then everybody else... Is like oh well maybe this this is like somebody with another level of credibility this is he's sort of pre qualified you know because somebody else wanted to work with them maybe we want to work with them too mm-hmm. you know so now you know I'm going to you know studios instead of production companies and I go into meetings and they have things they want me to pitch on that are real jobs which is the best thing you know because that's what you want to do is not just sell a spec you want to have a career and the best part of selling a spec other than what you get from that. Is that you get to go in and pitch on other ideas that people have that are real jobs at real companies, you know?
1: So, so that must be exciting, but also extremely challenging. Yeah, you are pitching on material that's already been written. Now, is this uh, you know existing IP like books and comic books, or is it uh, scripts that need rewrites? And now you have to give your take on it.
0: You don't really get anything to the rewrite stage mm-hmm. until you've had something produced on a big scale. Mm-hmm. So this at this point, you know, it's uh, adapting books or Mm. it's somebody's interesting life story that maybe doesn't have a book, but somebody bought the rights to their story. So, you know, because I did a true story thing, that's kind of the the circuit I'm on right now. Mm. So it's various forms of different true stories. How fun. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean,
1: you get to go, Okay, this happened. Yeah, they've got the rights to. I don't have to worry about it. And then I get to figure out the movie. Any way I want. Because there's so many different ways into people's lives or to real life events like you've done.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Oh, my God. So, so when you're, let's say, let's say somebody gives you a, a biography. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, actually, why don't you, instead of me giving you a, a what if, uh, without ruining confidentiality. Yes. If you can say like the kind of material you've been given and then how you started to think of, of movie. Is there yeah. a way to do it in a general way that doesn't give yeah, away secrets? Yeah, I think I secrets? can do that. So, okay. you
0: know, one example I've been given is sort of a true life spy thriller. Okay, and call it that. And, uh, you know, it's a person who lived a very interesting life their entire life. But then you have to the, one of the dangers of true stories is sometimes there's too many interesting facts, you know, and you, <laughs> you fe- go,
1: nobody will believe this.
0: Yeah. Well, not even just that, but you you want to try to cram everything into the script because you don't want to, oh, this thing that happened when they were 12 is great. But this thing that happened when they were 48 was great. Uh. And you want to put that all in there. And what happens is you really lose your momentum as telling a story. And so what I try to do is focus in on the single aspect of their life that was the most fascinating And that I can tell in a really propulsive way. So I tend not to, when I pitch, I don't pitch cradle to grave stories. I'll look at maybe it's a year, maybe it's just three months. Or in the case of the Reagan script, it was 12 hours where this is just like, these are the most fascinating things. And my goal, you know, what I'm trying to do when I tell a story about a real character, it's not about including every single fact of their life. It's about zeroing in on the thing that actually made them really fascinating and really interesting. And you don't have to tell their entire life story to like drill down to that. You have to look at the thing that was kind of maybe the most challenging or when they were in the greatest danger and then break that down as its own singular thing and use that almost as like a metaphor for their entire life. Like by looking at this one single thing that took place over a month or two months, I can tell you what made them, what it was that made them such an outstanding and interesting person.
1: What a great pitch too. Because you can say by focusing on this, this event, this will also reflect on the things that made this person who he is or who she is. Now, uh, in order to convey that in script form, do you think you'd have to go into flashback to do it? Do you think you'd have like a teaser of an event? Do you think you'd use exposition? What would you do?
0: I wouldn't use flashbacks generally. Mm -hmm. I I think one thing you have to take into consideration is audiences are very sophisticated Mm -hmm. from understanding story. They've been bombarded with stories their entire lives. Now it's like... You know you watch videos on your phone you go to movies you watch tv you have netflix like you're constantly you're probably consuming three or four stories a day so with very little cues they can quickly pick up on an idea that you're trying to tell so you know for example if i'm telling a story about you know a woman in the 50s and she's dealing with like a lot of sexism i don't have to like hit that point overly hard because people get pretty quick like oh yeah there's a woman in the 50s and like. I don't need three scenes of her being told by a man that she can't do this job. Right, right. Because they're going to get it very quickly. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, this is a very, you know, I mean, compared to this time, we're still in a very sexist time, but like.
1: But the overt dynamic. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and it's like, they're going to
0: pick up on that quickly. They're going to understand that dynamic very quickly. You don't have to hit it over the head that hard. You can be kind of subtle. If you show one scene where they're being rejected, the audience will know, okay, I get it. This is a woman who's trying to overcome, you know, some sexism and misogyny.
1: Got it. Yeah. got it, got it, got um, it. So, so again, you put that in, and that sort of alludes to the way they've been treated their entire life. With exactly. this one scene, yeah. So then, this event that happens, we see that overcomes yeah. that that kind of treatment. But also, we have history yeah. to back it up. Yeah, right? the
0: audience can extrapolate from the one incident. Kind of, they can get the the fuller picture. And you have to kind of trust the audience and understand that they can pick up. They're going to pick up on your story very quickly. That's why. I try to move fast when I write a story. I try to tell it in a very propulsive way because I know the audience is very quick and they're going to catch up very fast. You have to constantly be throwing new things at them and new twists and new ideas to keep them interested because they're going to figure everything out very quickly because they're just seeing so many stories.
1: How do you write fast?
0: You know, you have to keep throwing new kind of challenges, I guess I would say, or new, new information at the audience. So it's like... You have to keep challenging their expectations and as they get comfortable with one idea, you then have to radically shift that idea into a different direction. So you want them constantly kind of chasing you and the story you're telling and you want them kind of in a position where they're trying to kind of get caught up as opposed to them like, okay, well this is a a cop story and he's a drinker and he's going to catch this killer. and We know he's going to catch a killer because they always catch the killer and it's Mm -hmm. like, we see them going through the motions, but we already know what's going to happen. But then, if you throw some kind of curveball or twist at them, where they catch the killer in the first act, they're like, "Oh, well, I wasn't expecting that." <laughs> where where <laughs> we going now? now what? Yeah, exactly. Yes. But then you have the challenge of the now what, right? You know, because it's not just one or two twists. It's like every ten pages, you want to be throwing something new at the audience that they have to process and figure out and kind of sort out what it means.
1: That is a really good point. Yeah, I love I love when I'm caught off guard. Yeah. Like, wait, wait, this happened and I thought it was gonna happen this way and it happened. But you're right. So the first thing that comes to mind is, well, okay, there must be something even better around the corner yeah. if they sort of blew that there. Yeah. You know? Um and sometimes there isn't. No. <laughs> that's all there is. Yeah, it's just like, oh no. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, really. I like that. So when you're pitching, do you ever Sort of pitch the surprise. You go, okay. Yeah. So we we think we're going to do this, but now we're going to do it at this point.
0: The the pitch is sort of like a little microcosm of a script, Mm -hmm. right? And so you're just kind of you're hitting like your big points, and your you want to hit all your big points and your big twists in the pitch because you want them in you know sort of a five to ten minute journey experience what you're trying to take the audience through in a ninety minute to two hour journey, right? Mm -hmm. Like you want to hit because they they're already very familiar with the material themselves, so you don't need to kind of. Recreate what they already know, but you need to show them how you're going to take this material and twist it and turn it into ways that they're not expecting the audience won't expect got it so you don't you don't hold back your twists, you know you got to be kind of out front with those, but at the same time, they are twists to the people you're pitching to because they haven't heard it yet
1: sometimes when i'm when I'm coaching people and pitching, yeah, you know, and the we know that let's say the room has already read their pilot, mm-hmm. you know, or they're pitching on an i p you know they'll I'll have them throw in things like yeah. so as you know yeah. at this point blah 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 yeah I, I you do know, say that right? Yeah. because they don't always know because right. they haven't always read it yeah. or they've forgotten you know yeah. or they just didn't do their homework right, right. so it, it sort of catches them up on what they should know yeah. and then goes off of that so it's still a setup
0: yeah right I do I do include kind of the most what I think are the most essential details even if they're obvious like mm-hmm. it's like and then you know the Germans lose World War II I still <laughs> if it's relevant I'll say that just because like okay just to it give a sense of like okay here's where we are in the script at this point you know
1: <laughs> yeah i need to stop you uh uh this is a, a war you're talking about yeah. in uh in the 40s mm. uh could you explain more right like right. yeah so yes yeah, saying things like and then the germans so <laughs> yeah <laughs> might be a good good thing for some people to know mm-hmm. um uh now in the in the time you've been here for the first bottled water tour yes. episode and now not only were you taking meetings and writing scripts, but you also had some interesting side jobs that kept you in in the network, yes. sort of kept you in the industry. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about them, and also, like, how did it kind of keep you on track with what, what where you are now?
0: Yeah, um, so I was doing uh, kind of online video writing. And it was like not exactly like a narrative form. It wasn't like, you know, a YouTube TV show or something. It was actually like, a, you know, like on Facebook, you'll see like a one minute to two minute video about, you know, something politically outrageous or something that's funny or, you know, this celebrity is divorcing this celebrity, whatever. So it was it was that kind of video. It was very short form, online, very catchy. And, you know, it, frankly, if you're a writer and that's like a one of the kind of growth parts of the industry, it's one of the easier ways to get in because there's this phrase that a lot of media companies use that is kind of dreaded which is called pivot to video. Okay. Which is where, you know, a website that was based on articles will suddenly decide and this was very trendy for a while and it kind of still is, decide we're not going to do kind of articles or text anymore, we're now going to do all videos. Oh. Yeah, and then yeah. that has to do with uh, Facebook largely because Facebook is essentially this huge publisher for media companies. So much traffic gets driven to these websites through Facebook. And if you think about it, if you're scrolling through your timeline and a video just starts playing, You'll start to watch it. But if there's an article there, you have to click on the article, as to load to the other page, you go to another website. It's kind of slow, whereas the video just autoplays, and if it's something catching and has a good title, you'll probably just watch it.
1: Right, which is why like like sometimes you'll watch it like the sound won't be on or yeah, whatever, yeah, but well, you're still kind of engrossed. Yeah, exactly. It's still doing And That's its why job. they all
0: include the, uh, the on screen text. Right, right, right. That was like a that's like a big thing in this industry. And so it it covers a lot of things. You know, it can be political, it can be entertainment, it can be culture. I wrote about you know, sports and video games and stuff that was fun, you know. And- Tell
1: everybody how I found out about <laughs> your particular job.
0: So, I, uh, I started writing this series for a website called Uproxx, and it was called In Theory. And essentially, what it is, is uh, you have a theory about a pop- piece of pop culture. Like, uh, our very first one was that in Suicide Squad, the Joker was gonna turn out to be Robin, who had gone bad. Mm-hmm. And what kind of, and a lot of people do this, but what set ours apart is I was working with these very talented artists. And they would hand-draw the theory as the narrator was reading my script. Mm-hmm. So you would see these really great elaborate drawings. And they're very creative and very fun. And people really dug it. And then I saw it pop up on your timeline on Facebook. <laughs> and you were yeah, and you had no idea. Because they don't put our names on it. That's right. one of the downsides. A, fr-
1: a friend of mine sent me, put it on my timeline, my least favorite thing that people do, yes. put on my timeline um, uh, one of the theory videos with from Breaking Bad. Because yeah. he knows how much I love Breaking Bad. Yeah. And it was this theory that Walter White, everything that, oh, that happened he, was a dream. No,
0: not everything that happened. That he, there's a, it's, I guess in the last episode, he's in his car and he's in New Hampshire and he's about to drive back to New Mexico and do what he's going to do. And our theory was that he actually dies of cancer in the car. And that, we're not saying these are all true. We're just saying this is something to think about, to consider. But that everything that happens after that moment is really like this big revenge fantasy dream that he has. It's not actually what happened because he was so sick. And so, you know, he was this wanted criminal driving across the country to Mexico. You know, it was saying this is kind of improbable. And, you know, I'm sure it really did happen. I think the creator said it actually did happen. And that's fine. But it's just having fun with the idea. When
1: Mike, my friend Mike, who's been on the show, Mike Musa, when he sent it to me, my response was, "Don't you dare try to ruin yeah. Breaking Bad for me."
0: Well, it, what's funny about these theories is like half the people like them, and half the people get very angry. About I was them. so angry. Because yeah. <laughs> first
1: of all, it's Breaking Bad, and it's perfect. Yeah. Shut up. Yeah. yeah. And another <laughs> is that I hate dream sequences. Mm-hmm. I hate fantasy sequences. Like everybody, every teacher's got a thing. Yeah. I wrote a book on like let's break all these rules that mm-hmm. teachers hate, and I even have a chapter about like, but don't do dreams because I yeah. really hate them.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, Pe- people take them very personally I
1: was like what right and so then of course the, the Facebook conversation like happens where people pipe in and, yeah. me, 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 and then Alex writes and um I wrote that <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean they're super fun to write, and you know it was a it was a really successful series. I mean it's still somewhat ongoing, and uh, but yeah, I mean people do get very angry, <laughs> but the hate the hate clicks count the same as yeah, exactly, the love clicks so. exactly.
1: But it was it it was really well done. Thank you know, even the people who were like even me criticizing um, it, my friend Nina criticizing it was like. We were only criticizing the theory. Yes. We were like, "Yeah, that that looks really good," yeah. and it did. So, well done Thank with you. the actual contents. Yeah. Even though you're wrong, <laughs> you're so wrong. We're
0: almost always wrong because sometimes we try to do predictive theories where before a big movie comes out, we'll be like, "Oh, so and so is going to die in this Marvel movie," and we're almost never right.
1: Now, what about backtracking even from before then? Weren't you doing some interviews, red carpet stuff? Yeah, and well, things I still like that? do
0: that. So, I, I yeah, I'm a red carpet reporter as well. I you know, I do a lot of I have a lot of jobs. <laughs> Uh, And one of them is Red Carpet Reporter, and I've been doing that for six or seven years now. And it's a great job. And even having sold the script, I still do it because I enjoy it so much. And, you know, it's good to have other... And you get
1: to go to, like, fancy premieres and hobnob with stars. Yeah, you you
0: know, I'm going to this one uh, later this month at Dodger Stadium, which is Clayton Kershaw has a ping pong tournament (laughs) that he does for his personal charity. And it's great. I went last year. I'm going to go again this year. and. It's a great cause, but it's also just a great time to hang out at Dodger Stadium and meet your favorite players. And even the the screensaver on my phone is uh, me with Yusiel Puig that was taken at that at oh, that event. So yeah, you get to do a lot of fun stuff. So I keep it up.
1: You know, I, I you know we can we can you know laugh off like oh you know sticking a microphone in somebody's face and asking them what they're wearing, but that is not exactly true. You've got to actually bring information back that nobody else has thought of. And I'm always curious as somebody who makes herself ask people questions and isn't particularly good at it. But <laughs> I, I, you know, it's are there are there questions that you ask people that bring out information that might even be helpful for writers when they're interviewing subjects or they're trying to bring out unique information in somebody that they may have kept hidden?
0: It's funny that you would bring this up because, uh, you know, recently I did the premiere for uh Was the Mila Kunis Kate McKinnon movie, The Spy Who Dumped Me? Yeah. And generally speaking, like a lot of the outlets I work for, are not that interested in the director or the writer as much as they are in the the stars, you know. Obviously, but I had a chance to talk with the director and the writer, and I was interviewing them in a sincere way for my publication. But I also had the opportunity to ask things that I was curious about, you know, like they've had the successful films. You get to talk about, you know, what was even the genesis for this idea, you know, how did you come to this? Like, what were the challenges you faced? So you're asking things that are you know, relevant to your publication but also relevant to you as a writer. And you get to get a unique opportunity to talk to somebody who's in the midst of having some success and sort of figuring out what how they came across it.
1: And that must be refreshing for them because you're asking them about their craft and their inspiration as yeah. opposed to what was it like working with me? <laughs> well, that's,
0: that's what's funny because they get the stars are very jaded you know they get interviewed all the time they're tired of it they just kind of are trying to get through it but the a director or a writer especially somebody who's kind of breaking in is not used to it and so they're very excited to talk to you and they'll give you really interesting and in-depth answers like they'll really engage with you on the question as opposed to just trying to kind of get through it so they can talk to the other 30 publications that are on the red carpet
1: I'm sorry about the, the cops that just came That's in, all good. but uh, we have to say goodbye to Alex because clearly his escort is here. Yeah. So, well, <laughs> the war- warrants catch up just, with you eventually. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, <laughs> you're on the list. Mm. Um, was there ever a uh, a writer or director that you did come across in your time of, of doing this kind of work that you were a little speechless?
0: Yeah, I, I got to interview Spielberg. <gasps> um, and it was great, you know, and he's, he's a very cagey interview. He's he's savvy about how he does it. He's very good at kind of answering your question without and giving you a decent soundbite, but he's not necessarily like, he's not super excited to talk to you on a red carpet because uh-huh. he's been, you know, he'll, he will be a good interview. I'm sure for like a big vanity fair reporter or something, but on that, you know, a red carpet interview is kind of the least ideal circumstance under which to talk to somebody, because usually if it's a big event, there'll be anywhere from, you know, 20 to 50 different people trying to talk to you and a lot of them will have very asinine questions. There used to be an outlet called Shoes TV. Mm-hmm. And they would ask only questions about shoes.
1: I, I, what is wrong with that? That, <laughs> that sounds... <laughs> I, <laughs> and why did they shut that down?
0: Yeah, I, I know. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a little frustrating if you're trying to do some serious reporting. And it's like, you know, you're trying to talk about the project and the film and, you know, things related to that. And someone's like, if you were standing on a ledge for five hours, what pair of shoes would you want? <laughs> you know... <laughs>
1: And I want to know why somebody's standing on a ledge for five hours. I, I, like, well, you know,
0: Shoes TV has a limited kind of... Shouldn't
1: somebody be talking them out of that? Like, hey, man, it's not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> your life is may, worth may, living.
0: Maybe you were chasing your cat and you got <laughs> locked out and you're just stuck there and you need the fire department to come get you, but there's a big fire in there. Maybe that's why they're standing on a Exactly. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be a dire <laughs> scenario.
1: Have you ever gone into one of your uh, bottled water meetings and... There's somebody that you saw in one of these parties, or or well, because generally carpet. the bottled
0: water tour, that's with the executives, right? Who don't usually walk the carpet. Although I did have a funny incident where I was interviewing somebody, and somehow it was on a red carpet, and it got awkward somehow, and I had to say, listen, like you know, I, I'm not stalking you. I'm really here as a reporter. I, I don't know how this came about. Oh, like, that's so funny. I'm, I'm good at being awkward. But then the very next day, I was at a, an agency. For something completely separate And I saw this actress there And it was like I just told her I wasn't stalking her And here I am In the lobby And I'm sure she thinks because that Because it's
1: all of your lives Yeah right? Yeah exactly Your reporter life And your writer life And your They're, you they're colliding Yeah That is really funny But
0: she definitely Gave me a little side eye
1: Now are you still Working in the In the In the web world Right now In the um, um in the not, not as
0: much right now that, that was like A real That was like a job job That was uh-huh. full time In the office And so You know On the heels of this you know when you when you sell the spec, part of it is coming up with new ideas and trying to get new jobs, but a big part of it is going to these meetings, excuse me. and you have to really be present and available for those meetings. And then when they want you to pitch on something, it's not the kind of thing ideally you want to do when you get home from work at six o'clock and you're exhausted. You right. want to have that that time free. So if I could do it on kind of a, a freelance, really that's the good thing about the red carpet thing is it's very freelance, and I can kind of pick and choose. And a lot of it happens at night, which is not my best writing hours anyway. So I have my days free to work. So you definitely, if you can, don't want to have to be in an office all the time.
1: No, um, they bought the spec. Yes. As um, I am I, just just for people who want to know the what happens next for a writer. I'm assuming when they bought this back, they asked you to do maybe a rewrite before they took it out. Is that right? That is not right. That's No, No, really? It's all just as is? Yeah. (gasps) Look at you.
0: Nailed in one. Spoiled. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Spoiled rotten. (laughs) Well, okay, but but, now. But but to
0: be fair, part of that thinking is that that once you have a director, they're going to have a big impact and they're going to have a lot of notes. So it's like, we can fool around with this now, but whatever we decide, it might completely change when a director does come on. So, really, it's more in anticipation of being, you know, reacting to whatever the director is going to want.
1: Great. Okay. So, so they know, so there might be that. Or maybe the director's like, you are brilliant.
0: Hey, I love (laughs) love
1: everything. I don't know why he has an accent, why he sounds like Dracula, but he's like, oh, Alex, you are brilliant. He sounds
0: like (laughs) Tony (laughs) was so.
1: So, so, okay. But let's say that with the director attached and the spec in hand and the production company on board, the, uh, the, Goal is studio pay us for this movie, right? Studio, Uh, We need studio money now or is there already money? No,
0: the company I sold it to, Global Road, Mm. I think they do all their own financing. So, I mean, it's kind of the the world of, you know, what a studio means these days, it's, it's changed so much because it's like, okay, Fox now has kind of gone away, but then Netflix and Amazon have emerged and it's like, do they count as studios? Because they're buying things and they're financing them. And there's these big financiers, so it's like I think STX kind of qualifies as that, and uh, the company that I sold this to, Global Road, which is actually a, it was formerly two companies, it used to be Open Road, and then somebody else, and they came together, and they're they're doing their their financing, they're paying for the movie, and I believe they're also doing domestic distribution. I might be confused on that, but they they're very like they're sort of functioning like a studio. I mean, I've been down to their offices, and it's not a lot of production companies will be like you know, four or five guys in a small office. And this is like, it seems like hundreds of people in a huge office space. Like they're taking up a couple floors in a big building, you know?
1: So it's not even like we're attaching somebody to it so we can get more money. They have the money. They yeah. just want the director and they're going to yeah, make they it. Yeah, they want to make it. Wow, that's great. It is. So the process I was talking about would be if you were making an attachment, selling it to another buyer, somebody with even more money than that company. Right. And then that buyer then... Makes a contract with you for some rewrites based on studio notes, but yeah. that is not what you're what well, you're, going well, for you're you, you sold this. this that's thing. usually
0: more of like an option scenario where mm-hmm. a production company will give you, you know, five to ten grand for the rights for a year, you know, and then they'll try to package it and then they'll take it to a studio and then the stu- the production company will pay you, but they'll pay you with the money that the studio gave them to
1: buy the entire package. So this is great. Yeah. So it they, is they bought your project. They
0: bought it outright. Which All is,
1: right. Paid for the honeymoon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, baby. And, the, and, and now you're you're taking your meetings for your next thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, but that's its own very kind of high pressure situation because you don't want to be in a situation where two years from now I didn't get another work and now all that money's gone. Right, right, right. You know, you, the goal is not just to sell a spec, spec. The goal is to have a career. Right. And so now you're in these very high pressure situations at big companies where you're pitching for some serious projects. And, you know, it's very binary. It's yes or no. There's no, Mm -hmm. there's no medal for second place, you know, and you want to get these jobs so you can keep your career going. And by doing so building the kind of momentum. So it's like, he's not just the guy who sold the one spec, you know, he sold the spec and then he got an assignment with this big company and assigned with that big company. And you get to the point where people, you know, the, the incoming call business, as they call it, where you're not desperately trying to find a job. People who have jobs are looking for you and they want you to do it. You know, that's kind of the ultimate goal. That's what I'm working towards.
1: Um, are you uh, open to TV as well?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think in this day and age you have to be, you okay. know, because, you know, the, the Writers Guild sends out this report that kind of breaks down, you know, how much money all Writers Guild writers are earning and where they're earning it. And it's so it's so disproportionately in TV, the jobs are I think there's maybe five times as many jobs in TV as there are in features. It's very there's not a lot of working feature writers, you know. But there's a lot more working TV writers, and so you definitely, I think, if you want to have like a long, sustainable career, you need to be open to working in TV, if only because that's where so many of the jobs are.
1: So, do you have uh, TV pitches in your pocket as well?
0: Uh, I have a couple, yeah. yeah. Like not as many as I should, you know. And that's the thing too. It's like you sell a spec. And then immediately it was like, well, what's your next idea? What's your next idea? And it's like, well, (laughs) you know, I was working a full-time job and I was writing this spec. I don't know when I had a lot of time to jam out a bunch of other ideas. And you should definitely have that If you can find the time in your life to come up with other ideas, that's really important. And now that, you know, fortunately I don't have to go into an office job every day, I have that time to really ponder and consider other things. But yeah, it's hugely important, I think, to have some TV ideas. Because a lot of these companies, of course, they have TV divisions as well. And if they like you as a feature writer they'll set you up with their TV department and you just go and pitch them.
1: And, and, uh, are people, you know, you're at the stage in your career where you don't necessarily have to have an immediate pilot if they're interested in the TV, in the TV series.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, that that's a sort of its own complicated world because it's like, you know, there's, there's a networks, there's cable, there's Netflix and Amazon, there's Hulu, there's, you know, there's these companies that come and go like I think, uh, was like Awesomeness TV or Crackle was Mm -hmm. a thing for like a minute you Mm -hmm. know and they had TV shows and then they went away so I think it kind of depends what like if I was going to sell a network thing I would definitely have to write a pilot Mm -hmm. you know but if I was to do a six episode YouTube series they might just have me write the entire series so
1: there's some people you can go like yep got a series here's the pitch on it you know I know the way that you work but if you were going to network it would be like okay let's' you know
0: I'm not JJ Abrams you know like I what? yeah I still have a lot to prove especially you know because having not having not really done TV they would definitely want me to do kind of the basic steps of here's a pilot here's a Bible you know before they give me a 22 episode commitment
1: so so at home so of course you're preparing for all these pitches and and writing your take on all these things that that the studios. I'm sorry that that uh, the companies are asking you to do, but is there a sort of a a love project at home that you are writing on every single day? And can you can you hint at it to us?
0: Um, you know, the thing is, there are there are pro- yeah, there is a, like a love project that I would love to do, and no, I will not hint at it okay. <laughs> because I'm going to take it around and pitch it. I and, got it. Uh, You know, it's it's a historical drama. I'll say that much. Okay. It's kind of in a somewhat similar vein to uh, what I've done, but at a very different time period. Uh, but you know, and I, I still am taking that seriously, but right now, like I have this pitch coming up in a couple weeks that's for like you know if, if I get it, it would be a huge deal. So all my energy is driven towards really perfecting that pitch and making it just be as amazing as it can be Because like I said, it's a binary thing. if they if they want it, then that's what I'll probably be doing for the next six months to a year. If they don't want it, then I can just go back to my kind of passion project.
1: And we've talked about the length of pitches here, and it really depends on sort of the stage you're at as a writer. So yeah. if you're going in for a general meeting, your pitch of what's, what else is is fairly short. It's yeah. just sort of yeah. like getting their interest. Mm-hmm. If you're going back in to a meeting that you've been at to pitch out your take on something existing, that, like you said, is more like you're pitching the script. Yeah. So how long are you giving yourself for that?
0: I'm trying to... I think I keep it around... I I think it's about five pages written out. And so try to be around 10 to less than 15 minutes, I Mm -hmm. think. I mean, it's a... You know, a feature is kind of a straight... Features are not, like, really that long. When you think... Like, as as a story, like, they have to be told very quickly. Unless you're doing, you know, Lawrence of Arabia. And if you have the credibility to a three-hour movie, you probably don't need to pitch it, you know? But for, like, a 90-minute to two-hour movie, that's actually not a huge amount of story. You know? And so I kind of shoot for... 10 to uh, definitely under 15 minutes because people's interests are just going to wane.
1: You know, I am remembering why you are the Alec Baldwin of this show. <laughs> why? Because you're so good. You really give some great information. Plus, you keep advancing in your career. Yeah. So keep that up, would you? Yeah, well. Okay. No. So, so when you come don't, back don't and you are JJ Ajax, <laughs> you know, I won't. I won't. I would love for you to come back. Absolutely. It's this is so valuable. Thank you and congratulations on all the good things that have happened because you really earned them.
0: Yeah, thank you. It was was, was a long road, believe me.
1: And you and those 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 wedding pictures were like ridiculously (laughs) beautiful. It was a good wedding. God, we had a lot of fun. Wow. Now, if people want to check out. Uh, your your movies that you did, like the Disney Channel movie "Pants on Fire," um, or "I Can Only Imagine." Where should they go I to think, look at those? Uh, at
0: this point, "Pants on Fire" it used to be on Netflix; I might be off by now, but I think it's still on iTunes. Okay, so you can get it there. Uh, "I Can Only Imagine" is on. It's everywhere. It's on Amazon. The DVD is doing really well. Oh, good. So Amazon, iTunes, uh, wherever they sell DVDs or stream it, you'll probably find it there. It's not on like Netflix yet, but. Uh, I'm sure, it will be eventually.
1: And are, do you tweet? Do you have a website? Do you I don't have really anything?
0: tweet. I'm, I'm going to build a website. Okay. And when, I, and, uh, when I do build it, it'll be called something like Alex Kramer Writer. So okay. just look out for that. All
1: right. Okay. Yeah. As opposed to Alex Kramer Construction Lumber. Worker. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, I want to remind everybody to go to onthepage.tv to check out the in person classes and the recorded classes and episodes of this podcast you may have missed and all kinds of goodies, you know, all that stuff. Um, It's all right there. The next First Draft uh, six-week class is starting September 8th, going through October 13th. It's Saturdays, 1230 to 330, right here at the studio in L.A. And, uh, And I would love to see you there. Thank you again, Alex. You rock.
0: Thanks for having me back.
1: And thanks to all of you for listening. Have a good writing week.